This episode of Strictly Stalking is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. We love recommending the podcasts we listen to because, hey, we think you'll like them too. So we want to tell you about The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's a top-shelf podcast that was named Best of Apple 2018. So we aren't the only ones that love the show. Jordan is an amazing interviewer as he dives into the minds of fascinating people, from government officials, authors, and scientists, to FBI agents, spies, and hostage negotiators. There's something for everyone. Harbinger has that one-of-a-kind, undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-before-heard stories and thought-provoking insights. I love how he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, and it's all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. We talk a lot about narcissism on Strictly Stalking, and when Jordan interviewed psychologist Dr. Romani in episodes 742 and 743, titled How to Protect Yourself from a Narcissist, I learned even more about what makes someone a narcissist and how to fight back against them. Mm, I really liked Death of Mother Could Trigger Ballistic Brother, which was episode 782. It's where Jordan talks about skipping a mother-in-law's funeral to avoid risk of violence by an unhinged brother-in-law with an unhealthy attachment to her. That kind of issue in the family can be really dangerous, but Harbinger jumps in with a lot of great advice for his listeners. I've gotten some awesome advice from those feedback writers. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. As I was cleaning off the mirror to see myself right from all the steam, I looked to my left where there was a window and I saw fingers pushing through my window. I like to think that, you know, I can handle myself in a, in a crisis in a moment, but I think I stopped breathing and I was in complete shock and my body was frozen. And I remember seeing the fingers and thinking like, that doesn't match up. Like that does, that shouldn't be there. Right. And then I kind of was out of my body and then I went to scream, but my throat wouldn't let it come out. I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. On today's episode of Strictly Stalking, we're speaking with Nikki Boyer, the creator and host of the podcast Dying for Sex, and her new show, Near Death. Nikki is here to tell us her scary encounter with the peeping Tom and discuss the differences and similarities between voyeurism and stalking. Stalking and voyeurism are often related offenses involving unwanted attention, so we'll dive into some famous cases that are intertwined. Nikki, thank you for joining us today. Hi, I'm so happy to be on the show. Tell us about starting Dying for Sex and now you have a new show. Like, how did you get into all this? So I love you for asking because I didn't really intend to get into podcasting, but my friend Molly um, from the show Dying for Sex, it was a mini series on Wondery. It's still there, so you can go listen. She and I were driving in the car one day and I was taking her to an appointment for, I believe, her chemotherapy because she was stage four breast cancer. And she said, I think I'm going to leave my husband and I think I'm going to go on a sexual adventure and find myself. And I jokingly said, I think this is a TV show and I think it's called Dying for Sex. So it was literally born in the car while we were talking. And then I went on to record and, and produce a podcast with Wondery with her, which was just a really beautiful, amazing experience. So if you haven't listened to Dying for Sex, I promise you it's so, Molly is so amazing. But in the process of 
working with Molly and being with Molly when she was in the hospital and dying, I met someone named Reverend Peggy, who basically was like Molly's chaplain, which was funny because Molly was Jewish and not religious, but it was her spiritual person. And I realized like this Peggy person was fascinating. She witnessed 2000 people die. She works at one of the most famous hospitals in the world. Like, what is that like? So she shares on the new podcast, Near Death, Peggy shares these amazing stories that are like supernatural, creepy, funny, sad, depressing, but we laugh and drink martinis and talk about death. So I hope you listen. (laughs) What do you hope people get from the show when they listen? I really hope that people lean into the uncomfortable conversations because they can be deeply connecting if you have them with someone. Like if you have an ill relative or friend, like have the uncomfortable conversations because it can actually be quite freeing and maybe comforting for them. And also we just hope to make people a little less afraid of the one thing that's going to happen to all of us. So let's talk about it. It ain't going away. None of us are getting out of here alive. So we may as well talk about it. I love that you take the seriousness out of it, that you're kind of, this is what it is. These are the facts, but we don't have to be serious. Yeah, we don't. We drink martinis. We laugh. Of course, we cry together and talk about the depths of it. But we also talk about how death is just natural. It's a natural part of life and we can't keep ignoring it. And if we do, then that's when you find yourself in the hospital room having a panic attack and fighting with family and losing your mind. It's like it doesn't have to rock your world as hard as it feels like it does. It could, it could be something that can be deeply profound and connecting. Was being in entertainment always a dream of yours? Yeah, I hate to say it, but I was one of those kids. Yeah, I was like in the basement, like, you guys come down. I'm going to do a show. And my family was like, another show. I got into television when I was, I think, 12. And I shot a commercial. I lived in St. Louis. I worked for the WB affiliate in St. Louis, the TV station. So I was the cartoon girl. While I was a kid, I was like the kid that was like, hey, you're watching cartoons. Make sure to watch this and do this. So I learned very early on how to be to work in television and then stayed there, got my degree and then decided to move. Why when you have a degree and a job at a TV station, why would you keep that job? You should leave that, move to LA to try to be unemployed and look for acting work. Like what? Who does that? Well, I did. (laughs) And then um, I moved to LA and I did hosting and voiceovers and acting and loved it. Like really, really, really loved the experience. But it's, it's hard being a full-time freelancer, you know, always looking for work, always looking for the next gig. And, you know, I'm old and tired now. So what were some of those experiences like when you met with fans and followers and people that recognized you out in public? It was really, because I was so young. I mean, think about it. I was 16, 17, 18, going through being sort of a local celebrity. I loved it. I love when strangers come up to me. Maybe that's how, and I'm putting this together. Maybe that's how I ended up always talking to strangers about their stories because I've always been the person where strangers come to to tell their stories to. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved taking pictures and I love being a part of the community. And And then when I moved to LA, I got a lot less of that, right? Because, you know, a tiny little fish in a very big pond. But I do. That's one of my favorite parts of being in the entertainment industry is connecting with the people that love what you do and appreciate you. Yeah. And we know a lot of people in entertainment, they do deal with stalkers. Your story is a little bit different today, and it's not something that we've actually covered, which is really cool. Yours is a peeping Tom story. And I think it's important to hit on this because there's a lot of similarities between 
a peeping Tom, voyeurism, and stalking. I mean, it's unwanted attention. Stalking usually has more of a pattern, but you know, we've seen in some cases that voyeurism does too, and it can lead into stalking. Both of them can lead into obviously traumatic experience, but also being, you know, a violent encounter as well. So tell us about your peeping Tom voyeurism story experience. Okay. Well, I love that you are letting me tell this story because I do use humor to kind of heal through things. So I just want to preface by saying I may laugh and joke, but let me tell you both, this was one of the most terrifying experiences of my entire life. And I've never, my body has never felt that it did (sighs) the night that I had a peeping Tom. So One night, many years ago, as I mentioned, I moved to L.A. What does an actress do when they move to L.A.? They get a waiting tables job. So I was waiting tables and my boyfriend at the time was out of town shooting a movie. And I lived in like, you know, the Hollywood area where all the apartments kind of have little like little nooks where you you pull in and there's a driveway and there's like eight or nine apartments that are kind of connected together. And I felt really safe and good in this community. But this night... In particular, I got home really late from a night shift and I was exhausted, but I always had to take a shower after work because I didn't want to go to bed smelling like barbecue sauce right after waiting tables. And I got into the shower and I remember taking a very long hot shower and I got out of the shower. I wrapped my towel around me, put my towel on my head. And then as I was cleaning off the mirror to see myself right from all the steam, I looked to my left where there was a window and I saw fingers pushing through my window. I like to think that, you know, I can handle myself in a a crisis in a moment, but I think I stopped breathing and I was in complete shock and my body was frozen. And I remember seeing the fingers and thinking like, that doesn't match up. Like that does, that shouldn't be there. Right. And then I kind of was out of my body and then I went to scream but my throat wouldn't let it come out. Like it was like, (laughs) but like a blood curdling scream that was oddly silent. So I was terrified. And immediately I went to the window and and slammed it, right? Because I just wanted to, to get rid of the, I wanted him to leave. And I remember seeing the fingers poke through. I didn't see eyes. I didn't see a face, but somebody's hands were deep enough into my bathroom to be in the same space that I was. And I was violated. I immediately felt like I wanted to cry, but I couldn't. Like nothing would come out. I was frozen. So I threw on my robe and here's the crazy part. This is when I'm like, what is wrong with you, Nikki? I opened up my door and I started running like to chase. Like I learned in that moment that in my fight or flight, I am definitely fight. After I froze for two seconds, then I went into fight mode. Like, what was I going to do, right? Like, beat his ass? I don't know. So unsafe. So I don't ever recommend anybody doing that. But I ran down the street after a figure that was off in the distance. I still don't know if who that was, but I thought maybe it was the culprit. And then I realized my bare feet were just slamming against the concrete. And I felt the blisters like almost coming immediately because I was just, I was so out of my body. I didn't catch up to anybody. The figure in the distance went away. I looked around the, you know, the, the neighborhood and I just felt so violated and so alone and so terrified. So I walked back to the apartment and I was wrapping my head around the fact that I had a peeping Tom. Like, 
what? Like you hear about this stuff and you see it in movies, but you just never think it's going to happen to you. And I saw his fingers, his whole hands were in my, oh God. And I thought, gosh, he did, he didn't just peep in my window. He had to get a chair, pull the chair up to the window, pull the screen off. This is now at this point in the night, I'm putting all the pieces together reach his fingers through, hear me getting into the shower. Did he know I got home? Was he stalking me right before the peeping? Like, I didn't know. But what I did know is that I had to do something. So I called 911 and I just started sobbing as soon as they said, 911, what's your emergency? And you're like, I just started sobbing because I had never called 911. I don't think really on a situation like this until before that, until that night. So after a few minutes, of getting off the phone with the police officer, I hear knock, knock, knock. And it startled me. And I thought, gosh, oh my God, the the cops here already. That was really fast. And I didn't want to open the door because I was still so frozen in fear. But I opened the little like peephole. It was a little square because it was an old Hollywood apartment that had like that little square you could open up. It was like a, you know, four by four little peephole. And I see a guy standing there, like friendly face, normal guy. I've never seen him before in the neighborhood, but he says, hey, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. And I started to cry, right? And he's like, oh my God. He's like, I heard you screaming. And he said, are are you all right? And I said, I'm okay. The cops are on their way. I said, I'm just home and I'm alone and I'm terrified. And he said, you know, I saw a tall, dark guy with a really long jacket running in the neighborhood. And I heard you screaming and I just, I wanted to come check on you. And I thought, oh my gosh, so nice. Like, thank God. He's like, I'll stick around here until the police arrive. And I was just remember feeling grateful for this stranger. And so I shut the window. I stayed inside and then the cops arrived. And a lot of this is kind of like a blur because it's not often that you call the cops and they show up at your house and you're like, you know, the damsel in distress. But I definitely felt like the victim here. I've never had to go through anything like this. So the cops are there. I'm explaining the story. And as I'm explaining it, I'm like, oh, wait, this doesn't add up. Like I told her that some guy in the neighborhood who I'd never seen before came to my door and asked me if I was okay. And then he said, I heard you screaming. I heard you screaming and that's why I came. But I couldn't scream. Like I screamed, but nothing came out. And so he told me a tall, dark man that he saw. But when I remember looking at those fingers in the window, they were not dark hands. They were, they were white hands. And I remember at that moment, I got weak in the knees and I realized, oh my God, I think the guy at my door trying to help me was the peeping Tom. And now I was really scared. The cop says to me, you know, it's quite often that peeping Toms return to the scene of the crime because they kind of get off on watching things unfold and unravel. And I just, I just remember thinking, I can't believe that some person would do this, like go to all of those lengths, watch my car come in, see me get in the shower, maybe hear me get in the shower, pull up the chair, put his fingers in the window, try to see me naked uh, and and then come back to my door to, to rescue me. Like, I was just like, God, this is so screwed up. It was just so, I don't know. It just made me feel like I could never go back to thinking this stuff doesn't happen because this shit does happen. And so for about a year after that, it rocked me. I couldn't stay home alone. 
I got in the shower and every time I was in the shower, I felt vulnerable. I'd get angry. I found myself being edgy with strangers. I had to have friends stay with me when my boyfriend would go out of town. Like I, it really kind of rocked me. And to this day, I've never experienced that much fear and terror in my body. And so, yeah, he was stalking me, I think, or following me, paying attention to my behavior. And then he, he, you know, he was my, my peeping Tom. And I, I lost that feeling of like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't happen or that couldn't happen to me that I lost that feeling completely. And ironically enough, I ended up getting married to a guy named Tommy. (laughs) So I always laugh and I'm always like, well, he gets to peep all he wants and he's my Tom. But, but yeah, it was the most terrifying experience of my life. That really sounds terrifying. He's basically in your house. Yeah. Seeing as it's funny you say that, Jamie, because seeing his fingers in, oh, in my bathroom, I, it almost didn't add up. Like my brain almost couldn't process it. Yeah. And then I tried to slam his hands and he, he I wish I could have seen, oh God, like I just, now the anger part in me gets kicked up and I wish I could have, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would have done, but I wish I could have seen him or identified him. I can only imagine that moment when you realize that it was him that came back. Because we know a lot of, a lot of criminals do that, you know, and that's a very stalker thing. Is that common? Well, I mean, for certain types of criminals, yeah, you know, people want to see what they've done. (laughs) They want to see the wreckage that they've left, you know, and stalkers, they come back over and over. It's that pattern of behavior. And, you know, a peeping Tom or a a voyeur is somebody who is secretly watching somebody. It's very similar to stalking. So we don't know how long he was possibly watching you before that. And you didn't know. And that was his moment. You know, that was when he he had decided to move forward. (laughs) I always wonder, like, with peeping Toms, I always thought peeping Toms were, I don't know, like, far away or through a hole or you couldn't see them. But for him to physically put his hands into my window to open, I almost felt like he wanted to get caught or maybe he didn't think I was that close. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was just, it was terrifying. But yeah, he was in, I felt like he was in the room with me. And then honestly, for months after, I felt like he was in the apartment with me. And I didn't know if he was watching me anymore after that. It's interesting what you say about wanting to get caught because it's very similar to stalkers because stalkers, you know, they're stalking you most of the time. They're doing things to create that fear. So I wonder if that was, he wanted to create that fear and then see it. And then come back and ask me if I needed help. Oh, (laughs) man, come on. Like that is twisted. And then when he comes back, he's actually got access to you. So there's a whole different layer of that. So it's he wanted to, you know, being there to be that sort of savior and wanting to sort of experience that multi-act scenario is pretty disturbing really bold. Like, how did he know the cops weren't going to be there and then start questioning him, right? Like, how did he know? Oh, God. He might have had his alibi down. I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like, why is he there? He's in, he's in the area or he lives nearby. Hey, everyone. Angie's List is now Angie, and they've made it easier than ever to get all your home projects done right. I've used Angie so many times, especially being a homeowner, because there's always something that needs to be done around the house, and I just don't have the time or knowledge to do it myself. And that's where Angie comes in handy. Exactly. Just last week, I noticed the outside of my stove was hot to the touch whenever I used my oven. 
and I knew that wasn't supposed to happen. So I hopped on Angie to find an appliance repair company, and I answered a couple quick questions online, and right away I was able to compare quotes from certified appliance repair pros. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. You can bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Just answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. They will also help you see ratings and reviews, compare quotes from local pros, and connect instantly. And that means you can cross things off your to-do list in just a few taps. Angie is there to make it easy, whether it's routine maintenance or a dream remodel. So get your next project done with the help of a pro from Angie. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey guys, we know when it comes to managing weight, there's no magic pill and weight loss fads come and go. I've tried so many different ways to manage my weight and stay healthy long term. For me, it's about emotional eating. I eat when I'm bored, when I'm lonely, when I'm sad. But that's where Noom comes in. Noom is changing the game with weight management because you know how a lot of weight programs focus on what you eat. Well, Noom is using science to help you understand why you eat. And that's a game changer for me. And Noom is backed by science. They use a psychology-based approach. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Noom's psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Noom is changing how the world thinks about weight loss, and it's time for a change. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. You kind of tell your story using some humor and a lot of people that have dealt with trauma do that. But I can tell the trauma that you felt, you know, what, what that's caused for you. I know there's been some long lasting effects from that. Can you kind of tell us like, changes that you've had to make in your life because of going through that? Yeah, I think it just it reminded me of not being so naive and trusting of strangers because you never know what someone is capable of. And I always give any everybody the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm always like, oh my gosh, they're good people until they show me that they're not. But if he wouldn't have said to me, I heard you scream, I still to this day would maybe be thinking that he was just a kind neighbor. And I probably would have been like, I got to look for this guy and, you know, bake him cookies and tell him thank you for being like, that's where I go. And I think it's just caused me, you know, I'm I'm a big city, small town girl from, from St. Louis. I always have my guard up, but I always assume the best of people. And I think now when someone comes to me and approaches me and says something, I have much more of a a slight guard up with them. And I'm really really good with boundaries. Like that moment taught me that I am responsible for my own mental health, my own well-being, my safety. And if someone makes me feel unsafe, you know, that little like feeling you get in the center, like right above your belly button, like below your ribs, like you're like, ooh, uh-uh, something feels wrong. Like I just, uh, I trust that now more than ever. And I just, I have really good, really good boundaries. But the thing that kind of creeps me out the most, you guys, is that like, he got caught, but how many times have I have have we all been watched or stalked or peeped on without us knowing? And that just creeps me out. Like 
And I'm, I'm, sometimes when I'm in hotel rooms, I'm like, are, am I alone? Is somebody watching? Is there a camera somewhere? Like, it sounds crazy. But once you lose that, oh, that doesn't happen or that can't happen to me feeling, you you can get paranoid. And I was paranoid for a good six to eight months after that experience. It's interesting you say that with the unwanted behavior from the peeping Tom from a voyeur because it is more secretive. It is more far away. And, but they're so similar because it's still got that stalking aspect to it. And I don't know much about peeping toms and voyeurs and that. So I did a little research and what I found, what I think the difference is, is that is the motivation behind it. I think the motivation behind the peeping Tom act is to stay more secretive, you know, to not get caught. And also there, sometimes there's that sexual gratification in there. Whereas the motivation behind stalking is more of that desire for revenge. They want to install fear. They kind of want to get caught. They want to show you what they're doing. But I think that also the similarity there is the power, that they both have the power. So there's, there's, it kind of goes hand in hand. It's so interesting. Nikki, when you look back on other incidents in your life that you had faced this peeping Tom and the trauma that that brought with you, did you reexamine certain things and certain close encounters that you had growing up? I mean, you were in the public eye, you were doing all these things. You had to kind of be out there as the face of a organization and meet people, greet people. Were there things that happened that made you feel uncomfortable that you look back and said, okay, that could have been a problem. Yes. Gosh, that's such a beautiful question because, you know, hindsight, right? I think that I, before this happened to me, and this was in my very early 20s. And so after this happened to me, I created just a little bit of a safe distance between me and strangers or me and fans. I hate to use the word fans. That sounds ridiculous. But you know what I mean? People that are, I don't know, fans. That's weird. I got to find another word. Anyway, looking back, I think I because I was in the public eye and because I was taught, you know, be grateful and, and be kind to everybody and they're they're fans of yours. So open up yourself to them. I think I let a lot of things happen. And being a woman, you know, you I think that there's a deeper layer there of just like you have to welcome in everybody. You have to hug everybody and make everyone feel like they're special. And I think there were lots of instances that I look back where I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have put myself in that situation. Or, huh, I, I wish my radar would have been up a little bit. So maybe now that you know, I'm doing this and like processing this in real time with you, this is like therapy, you guys. Thank you. I think that this happening to me, this horrible thing happening, and, and thank God I wasn't injured or attacked or, and for all those people that are attacked, I, oh, I can't even imagine the trauma it causes. But maybe that little peeping Tom moment protected me from things in the future that I would have maybe let myself open up to. And so maybe, you know, there's a silver lining here. For sure. And a lot of people who go through that trauma, you know, they become activists, they are more aware, they kind of, they have that extra sense of awareness after that. Yeah. What actually made you feel comfortable enough to come out and talk to us about this? You know, it's funny. I almost told the story about 10 years ago. And I, it, the opportunity didn't happen. I think I, I feel comfortable because I think often when stuff like this happens, you feel shame around it for some reason. Like, like I was the person this happened to, yet I feel shame. Like I'm like embarrassed that this happened and that I was in such a vulnerable, emotional and physical state being naked and by myself. And I like to, you know, say that I'm like this badass and I'll kick your ass if you come into my space. But like at the end of the day, like, I mean, I did run after the guy, but like I was traumatized 
So I think the reason that I feel comfortable now is because I've had a little time to process it. I'm a little older, but also like I think cautionary tales are so important to hear that something like that happened to someone else. I hope then maybe lock the windows, maybe be a little safe, maybe be a little more aware of your surroundings when you get out of the car. Like I took all that stuff for granted. And I think when you hear stories like this from other people, it can be a little, little bit of a cautionary tale. I think it's important to see that similarity because I think those peeping Toms can escalate, you know, and, th- and there have been a lot of cases where they have escalated into rape, murder, stalking. I mean, even Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, I mean, he was obviously a stalker and a murderer. And there was a voyeuristic thing with him, too. You know, he's a little bit of a peeping Tom. I often wonder, like, if this guy, if I wouldn't have noticed this guy's hands, like, say I didn't see them. Like, I'm wondering, like, how long would he have stayed there? What would have next his next move going to be? Like, would he have hurt me? What if I would have opened the door when he came back? Like, I do run through that sometimes. And I think how lucky I am when I think about all these poor people that have been victims. And um, I mean, it was one one small twist of the story and and things could have been really bad. So that's that's not lost on me. Or if it would have continued, but it didn't because you did catch him and lawyers want to be more secretive. Maybe it would have continued or maybe it had already, maybe he was already watching for a while and you didn't notice because that is their thing where they want to be kept secret. You have done so many podcasts and you share your stories, but also people come forward and share stories with you. Have you had people that have expressed similar things to you and you wanted to basically guide them or tell them certain protective measures that you've taken in your own life? You know, it's funny because, yes, I think people are, are all, if, if you're holding like a, a traumatic experience that you've gone through or something that's intense, I think the best way to get through it is to talk about it right, and share it, share the shame. And so when people share their shame, like I stop in my tracks, I'm, I'm present for it. And um, but my, my favorite question to ask is like, this was horrible and this was awful. And I'm so I'm so sorry you had to go through it. But I always ask people like, well, what did you get out of that? What did you learn out of that? And so for me, my lessons were be a little more guarded, be a little more clear with your boundaries, pay the pay attention. I also got mace. <laughs> I got one of those little alarms. And I was just very oh, and another thing is like, Every apartment I got or every house I ever lived in after that, I always made sure that my door was not accessible. There was a gate or something blocking, like my door was never going to be accessible to the street. I just, that was something I just knew I wasn't okay with. And lock your damn windows. Like my window wasn't locked. Who leaves their windows open? I have security cameras now. It's so funny. I'm not putting all of this together until like we're talking because I haven't talked about this much. But when I used to see security cameras on people's houses, I'd be like, relax. Like, what do you have in there that is that? Like, get over yourself. Nobody wants your stupid photo albums of your dumb kids. We're fine. And your, your computer, whatever. But now I'm like, oh, hell no. I got, I have three little security cameras. Every once in a while, I find myself just popping it on and taking a live look at my house when I'm not there. I'm like, hmm, let me see if there's any action. Is there any, are there any random people around? But I have to tell you, this is just coming to me right now. There was a guy in my neighborhood recently who was, I think he was just a little belligerent and drunk. I don't think it was dangerous, but he was screaming. And he was walking up and down the street and he was like, rah, rah, rah. and he had a glass bottle and he slammed it to the ground. And when that happened, I immediately went back to, oh, 
holy shit, this does happen. That night of the peeping Tom. And I remember and the first thing I did is I called the police because I thought, well, I want it on record. I want them to know someone was here. God forbid something happens. I want to be safe. And so, yeah, it's definitely, it definitely has affected my life. It's that extra awareness. You know, it gives you that third sense or, or whatever of what could happen because you know, you know now what could happen. Yeah, you can't unknow that. You're right. And you brought up something that's very important is the level of hyper-awareness, but also documenting things. Like once you start to put together these incidents, because, you know, like this guy could come back, he could turn into another issue. So anybody who is in that situation, you may never know when that information is going to be needed to basically put together a case. That's such a good point, Jake, because I when I called the police, I was like, oh, gosh, is this annoying? But they came and uh, took lot, they really documented and asked lots of questions. They were here for about an hour because I think, you know, that idea of document everything because you never know what this could turn into. And so I didn't want to be, you know, the overreacting lady in the neighborhood is like, oh, my one, one, there's a guy yelling outside. But because I had been through that peeping Tom situation, I thought, well, what if that turns into something else? It turns into something else. So that's a really good point. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this episode with Nikki Boyer, you should check out her podcast, Near Death. We're obsessed because this first series from Nikki's new company, Dying for Media, in partnership with Lemonada Media, is raw, transparent, emotional, and well, at times, it's hilarious. I'm sure everyone remembers the podcast, Dying for Sex, one of my longtime favorites. And if you haven't listened to Dying for Sex, I suggest starting there. Because while recording it, Nikki met Reverend Peggy, the lead chaplain at a world-class hospital. Being a chaplain, Peggy has actually been present for nearly 2,000 deaths. So she's got some serious inside info on the subject. That meeting between Nikki and Reverend Peggy changed Nikki's perspective on death and life. Because now they're close friends in real life, and they are bringing you moving stories from Peggy's career and life. These stories are profound, emotional, supernatural, and some are downright comedy. There are tales of angels, ghosts, exorcisms, and stories that will make you laugh, gasp, and probably cry a little bit. But if you're expecting some sad, depressing show about death, this isn't it. And Reverend Peggy wasn't who I was expecting either. Aside from being a chaplain, she's a gorgeous, single LA lady who moved to Hollywood to be an actress and comedian. And they leave nothing out when discussing life and death. There's Peggy's encounter with a hilarious real-life vampire, a dying woman who is greeted by a room full of angels, and even the time Peggy performed an actual exorcism in the hospital. Jump on board with Near Death and you will not be disappointed. Near Death is everywhere you get your podcasts, with new episodes every Wednesday. Plus, there's bonus episodes available on Lemonada Premium on Apple Podcasts. Hi, Charlie here. I'm the host of a podcast called Crime Lines. Each week I go in depth about a true crime case, organizing the information in an easy to follow manner and providing context to what happened. We talk about MMIW cases, media biases and reporting, the legal process, and all those important things that help bring something new to a story you may have heard before. I keep things conversational so you don't realize how much you're learning and we'll just ignore the fact that I'm talking to myself alone in my basement. Recent Crime Lines episodes you may want to check out cover the murder for hire plot of Atlanta socialite Lita McClinton, 
The family annihilation of Judy Smith and her children and a trial that gripped the nation, the murders of the Haldersons and the unraveling lies of their son. You can find Crime Lines in your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen, that's Crime Lines, one word, wherever you get your podcasts. So many people come on and they talk about their trauma with stalking, you know, now peeping Tom and all these things. And your new podcast really helps people out in dealing with this stuff on a level where it doesn't have to be serious. You know, like we talked about earlier, even though it is a serious thing, it's something that we can kind of get through. Tell us a little bit more about your new podcast, Near Death. I would love to. So it's you know, I I always start a project from like heart space. I'm always like, what do I want to do? What do I want to talk about? And I remember the moment that I knew I wanted to know more about Reverend Peggy's life and, and what she did because I was in the hospital room with Molly from Dying for Sex. And Peggy was there helping spiritually guide Molly, helping her, I mean, have those uncomfortable conversations about the trauma and about death and how do you want to die? and What do you want it to look like? And I was just I was in awe of how much peace and humor she brought into the room. And she walked out of the room and I went, holy shit, she does this for the whole hospital. Like what? Like my mind just went like spiritual care and never thought about that as a job in the hospital. And she takes care of all the nurses and the doctors. I mean, think about it. If you're a nurse in your first ER night and you lose a patient, like there is some trauma that happens for the people that are doing that job as well. And, And Peggy's you know, there's a rabbi there. She's There's other chaplains. There's other spiritual care workers. But she's been doing this for 20 years and she's seen nearly 2,000 people die. And I thought, I have to talk to her just as a friend. So we met for lunch and we talked and I'm like, I think there's a podcast here, which is what I do with everybody important in my life. I'm like, hey, you want to make a podcast? <laughs> so we started sifting through these stories. And I thought, you guys, like the same way we're doing today on your show, when you talk about the uncomfortable shit, it kind of loosens it up. It frees up some space in you. You can cry, you can make jokes, and then you move forward in a way where you, I like, I feel lighter after talking to you guys today. And so thank you for that. And I hope that that's what near death can do for other people. So Peggy and I sit, it's a weekly show. It's, you know, we go there, like we laugh, we cry, we drink martinis, we talk about all, we talk about supernatural shit, about hauntings. We talk about really beautiful things. Like, think about it. Like, she marries people on their deathbeds. She does baby blessings. She helps trans patients make that transition from grieving who they were to who they're going to be. She's, her stories, I mean, they're just, they're so good. So I just really encourage anybody that wants to listen um, to, to go find near death wherever you get your pods. How do you both get so transparent and so raw and so emotional? Like how difficult is that for you? Because it really moves the listener and it really makes you feel like these are two people that not only really care about what they do, but they really want to share those experiences to make it more palatable for those who may be going through it. Thanks for saying that. I mean, I, I don't, for me, it's not difficult. Like sometimes I laugh because I'm like, I'm laughing and crying at the same time, right? In in the series. I think for Peggy, this is just it's her job. I mean, she's so open and emotional and spiritual and loving. But I also like she this is old hat for her. Like she just does this every day in and out. And and so I think we have two very different perspectives. And she's a Christian chaplain. And I'm, you know, I don't I'm spiritual, but like, I don't really believe in all that 
you know, religious stuff. So I think we come from different places, but we always find a nice place in the middle. And the beautiful thing about Peggy is that she meets people where they are. Like she has met people who are like, come in here. You don't look like a chaplain because Peggy's like this beautiful woman who dates and drinks martinis, like not what I thought a chaplain was. Like when she walked in, I was like, where's the old guy with dandruff that's weird? Like I thought that was a chaplain. And so she, you know, she kind of breaks the mold. And I think she reminds us all that just because you're a spiritual person doesn't mean you have to, you know, you have to look like that. (laughs) And that's the thing you kind of pull back the curtain, because when you're talking about her online dating and what kind of profile picture she puts up, it really humanizes who she is and what she does. What's one of your episodes that really moved you? Like, give us kind of the story behind one episode where you were, the takeaway was just, wow. Well, I feel like, okay, there's two. I'll be fast. But one of them was, holy shit, that happens in the hospital? Like, what? Like, what? So, There's an episode that's upcoming where Peggy does an exorcism. And I'm like, what? She's like, I in the hospital. I'm like, hold on a second. That happens? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, is it real? And she goes, for the patient, it's all very real. Like I was doing what I needed to do to give them the spiritual care they need. No judgment. And I was like, she steps up and does she takes all the case. Like, she's like, where's the juiciest case? Give it to me. So yeah, there's an upcoming episode around exorcisms. Which I'm like, what? And then there's an episode that actually just dropped. Um, it's our third episode. It's called Angels Everywhere. And it's a story about a, a, a man that was losing his mother and he couldn't be in the room when she died because he just couldn't emotionally handle it. And when he left, Peggy was with her. And what she saw as she was dying is breathtaking. And so from this episode, you get to sort of see what it's like to really be in the room when someone is dying and when it's beautiful and and poetic and magical. And I always, I think the lesson from that is if you can not be in the waiting room when that is happening, I think you might gain more value than fear from watching and being with someone as you walk them home. So has doing this podcast changed any of your beliefs? about these things? No, it's an interesting question. You'd think it would, but no, I think it it solidifies my beliefs that something's out there, but I don't know what the hell it is. Something goes on when you die because one thing Peggy says is when people are starting to see people on the other side, they're getting visitations from very specific family members, animals, like that's when the staff knows it's time. So that can't just be hallucinations. It can't be every medication causes the same type of hallucination. Like that's got to be something else creeping in, right? Religious or not religious, there's something else going on. So I think it's just solidified my idea that I don't have a clue. I love that I don't have a clue what's on the other side, but I know something's there. Um, But now I am like, we've been talking so much about these like beautiful deaths where you get the, the privilege of time like weeks, months. But what scares the shit out of me is like the tragic deaths, right? The ones, the car accidents, the, oh my God, you were here. And then the next minute you're not. So every night in the middle of the night, I put my hand up to my husband's nose to see if he's breathing now. I'm like, oh my God, death is on my mind. I'm like, are you breathing? I wake him up. I'm like, are you breathing? He's like, well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's definitely affecting me, but um, you know, I'll deal with it. I'll go to therapy. I know that dying for sex led to near death from a content level. So I wanted people to really understand if they haven't absorbed it and listened to it, because it makes 
a very like near death is the perfect companion piece to your show. Thank you for saying this. Yes, because I love you right now, because I think if you go to listen to to Dying for Sex, it's only six episodes, right? Then actually episode one of Near Death explains sort of the transition that you make from from Dying for Sex to Near Death. So it kind of merges those and, sh- and it shows you how I landed with Peggy. And so I think if you have time, which I mean, nobody has any time, but I would start with Dying for Sex season one, episodes run through six. So you really get to know that world and then move on to Peggy and near death. I think that would be a nice compliment if you've got an extra, you know, 12 hours in your day. It's a great way to put your headphones in and ignore the annoying people in your house. Be like, I'm, I'm working. I'm working right now. I'm listening to something. I can't talk to you. Sorry. But yeah, thank you for saying that because I think that'd be a really good sort of appetizer to near death is listening to sweet, sweet Molly and her story. And I'm not, I'm not, when I brag about dying for sex, I'm not bragging about me because that is really her. Like she is an extraordinary human being who had an amazing perspective on life because how often do you get to talk to and documents with someone as they're in the process of dying? That is a gift. And so I listen to the episodes when I need a moment to like recenter my shit and get my, get my life together. I re-listen to that. What do you want listeners to take away from where your life is at with dying for sex, near death, even this story? What do you want listeners to know about you? I would love for them to understand that even though I'm always challenging people like face your fear and share your shame, like we're all still works in progress. Like I'm not coming from a place of like, this is what you should do. And this is what's worked for me. It's just like the more honest and vulnerable and real you can be with yourself the more you're going to attract that in your life. And I think I struggled so much in my career to try to make it work and try to do the acting and try to, you know, be the singer that I wanted to be. And not until I kind of surrendered and said, I'm done with this business. I just want to tell beautiful stories. It, that was the moment that it all shifted for me. So I think the bigger lesson is here. Take the pain and the bullshit that you've been through and try to go, how can I make that matter? How could I put purpose to all that pain that I went through. I think that's what I'm doing. I don't know. Ask me in a couple of weeks. I might change my mind, you know, but I think that's what I'm doing. I think take the shit you've gone through and give it a purpose because that's the only way that it's going to feel like it's not consuming you. So that's, I know that sounds a little airy fairy, but I think that's kind of what I, what I'd like to encourage people to do is the stuff that makes you feel like a mess. It might be your biggest asset. I think that's great advice. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Nikki, we are so pleased that you joined us today. And thank you so much for joining us on the show. I loved hanging out with you guys. It's such a treat to be on the show. And thank you so, so much. Thank you, Nikki. If anyone out there is in need of help or a victim of stalking, please reach out. You can find a list of resources on our Instagram at Strictly Stalking Pod. If you'd like to share your story with us on Strictly Stalking, you can reach us at strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. That's strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. As a listener of Strictly Stalking, please leave a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. I'm Jake Deptula. And I'm Jamie Beebe. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Strictly Stalking. Stream the biggest blockbusters this summer with Popcorn Summer Movies on Pluto TV. Indulge in hilarious rom-coms like The Backup Plan. Or delve into award-winning dramas like Forrest Gump and Minari with thousands of other free movies. Pluto TV has something for everyone. 
Available on live TV and on demand. Download Pluto TV on all your favorite devices and start streaming now.